This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today I'm going to be talking with Aaron and Greg about what's been going on this summer at Single Tracks. Summer's a really busy time actually here at Single Tracks, and we have a lot of mountain bike events and trips booked solid pretty much from May through September. Which can be a tough life, I gotta say, but someone has to do it. So Greg and Aaron have been particularly busy over the past several weeks, and I thought it would be good to catch up with them and learn about what they've been up to. So Aaron, let's start with you. You recently got back from Crankworks in Whistler. What did you get up to while you were there? Hella radness, <laughs> I think, right? That's what, they, that's what the kids are saying these days. Got into a little bit of everything. You know, Crankworks, for those that are unfamiliar, is a is a huge event. And there's now what are there, three or four stops. There's one in uh, New Zealand. There's one in France. I think there's one in Austria now. So maybe this, yeah, maybe there's four. Crankworks Whistler is the original one. It's the biggest one. It's the premier mountain bike festival in the world, really. It's 12 days long and there's every kind of racing you can imagine there's cross-country racing there's uh pump track there's speed and style there's dual slalom downhill and then of course that all kind of culminates with with the main event being the red bull joyride so yeah caught a little bit of a little bit of everything you know some of the events got plenty of riding in the bike park rode on plenty of the trails outside the bike park which was cool and you know went to some video competitions some photography competition so it's just really it's a it's a lot of fun i mean if you're at all interested in mountain biking it's a really fun place to be because you're around i don't even know 50,000 plus other mountain bikers what exactly is a video and photo competition? Like people are shooting videos and photos and then they judge the photos at the end? Yeah, basically. So there's the GoPro Diaries, um, which is a video competition, which I'm not sure exactly what the rules are with that one, but that's the one where we saw Michaela Gatto's video, the Furta Girls won that. So I think GoPro is just a sponsor because obviously that was not shot on GoPro cameras. You know, that was very professional. And then the, the photo competition is called the Deep Summer Challenge. And that, that's pretty cool because you have, you know, these photographers have to select a team of riders and you have three days to shoot and edit and put together your most badass slideshow possible. Um, but you have to either do it in the Whistler bike park or like some of the valley. So there's valley trails around there. So it's very, you know, it's like limited to this geographic region. So it's kind of a challenge because this, this competition has been going on for several years. So you're, but you're forced to stay within, you know, the bike park. So the, the struggle is to come up with something original in, a place that's been seemingly mined for you know all it's worth you know so yeah. it's pretty cool like there there's definitely some iconic shots that just about everyone has in their slideshow you know like certain certain features that are in the park but yeah it's really cool to see the the different photographers and their different takes on you know what a slideshow is honestly so it's that's a that's really cool and they do that in the uh, olympic plaza so it's an outdoor venue you know there's people 
laying on the grass and chilling and dogs running around and kids. And so fun time. Cool. So tell us about some of the events and competitions that you saw while you were there. Yeah. Like I said, I caught, I caught a little bit of a few different events. I caught some of the Canadian open downhill, which is, um, uh, you know, that's, that's a big event. Big names were there. Like Jack Moyer was there. Troy Brosnan ended up winning it. Um, so, you know, big world cup racers come there and, and race this course. And that used to actually be kind of the premier event on Sunday. It's what they closed out Crankworks with, but this year they moved Red Bull Joyride, which was typically on Saturday evenings. They moved it to Sunday morning, um, just to try to help with the weather. So that I caught all of that event. I went early, uh, saw practice, shot a bunch of photos and then watched the whole event. Uh, so that was really cool because I had, you know, having a media pass, I could get like right next to the jumps, which was pretty awesome. I gotta say, uh, so yeah, if you don't know, spoiler alert, uh, Brandon Semenek won it. It was his fifth time winning the event. And he happened to be the first guy down the hill because he hasn't really done any competitions this year. So he didn't have any points and they, you know, they start your first run by like what your ranking is in the overall season. So since he hasn't done any competitions, no points, first rider in. And I think that actually worked to his advantage because the wind started to pick up a little bit after his run and we saw a lot of guys crashing. It wasn't, you know, super windy, but you know, you think about how precise you have to be with these tricks. I mean, the moves they're doing now are just insane. And the size of these jumps, you really, it's kind of one of those things where you have to see it in person to really, you know, get a good understanding for the scale of how big these guys are going. So even a little bit of wind can, can wreak havoc. You know, if you're spinning 720 degrees upside down, 30 feet in the air, you know, you got a little bit of wind can throw you off. So two of the favorites that were kind of, you know, expected to really challenge Brandon, you have Nikolai Rogatkin and Brett Reeder. They both crashed on both of their runs. So they weren't able to, weren't able to knock him, knock him off his, uh, the top of the podium there. So, but it was pretty cool to see Brandon win it again. I think I've been there for three of his five wins. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, you just know that he was going to throw it down. I mean, if you haven't seen Brandon competing, then you know, he's just been at home sharpening his knives. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned you've, you've been to Crankworks a few times. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Whistler, how it's changed in the last few years? So Crankworks is the busiest week or whatever 10 day period for Whistler just just period like compared to ski season compared to Christmas New Year's whatever it is the biggest weekend for them our biggest week for them so it's always been busy but I've been this I think this is my fifth crankworks so but it's been a couple years since I went last time and even a couple years ago it would be fairly quiet early in the week and this year I arrived on a Tuesday evening and it was jumping like Tuesday evening. It was, there was still a lot of people out milling around the village. Um, all the restaurants were full and, uh, you know, that, that just, it just got busier from there too. Cause really, you know, before when I went, it didn't really, really get busy till Friday, honestly. Um, but I mean, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're all just slammed there. So Definitely more and more people are coming to Whistler for Crankworks. Yeah, and so you got to ride a little bit while you were there. You rode in the bike park, um, but also a new trail that's uh, located outside the park, right? What was that like? 
Well, yeah, actually, I rode, I rode a little bit of everything. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the bike park first. You know, they, they continue to grow. You know, there's new trails in the bike park, of course, uh, and uh, there's more trails on Blackcomb, which is the mountain right next to next to Whistler. And they're actually adding 15 kilometers, which is nine miles of trail to the Creekside zone, um, which that'll open in June 2018. And that'll basically start from the top of the world trail at the very peak of Whistler. So it's really cool to see them, you know, just continuing to to expand their trail network. Um, I actually was staying in Creekside, which is, um, you know, it's basically the other, on the other side of the ridge from Whistler, I guess. Um, I was staying over there and they have their own gondola and everything, but there's not a whole lot of trails on that side of the mountain. So, you know, it's fairly quiet, but the couple trails that are over there, a lot of fun. One in particular was called BC's Trail and it was a, just a super fun, like technical single track descent down to Creekside. But yeah, next year they're going to have, like I said, 15 K more trail over there. So they're just getting bigger. And then riding outside the park, I got to do that quite a bit, which was kind of a goal of mine, um, this trip because I've, I've been there a few times and I always think I'm going to ride outside the park, but then you get to the park and it's just so much fun. You don't really care about riding anything else, but yeah, I made, made it a point to get out and ride and the trail, I rode a bunch of different stuff, but the trail you're talking about specifically, it's, rides up into the Alpine on Mount Sprout, I think is how you say it. Um, but the trail's called Lord of the Squirrels. And this is a, like a five-year, I think $3 million project. Um, so you start with a machine-built climbing trail called Into the Mystic, and you kind of slowly wind your way up through the forest. And you're from the valley up, you're talking like 3,500 feet of climbing straight, just up, up, up. I mean, it took about three hours uh, uh, to get up, but eventually, you know, you're just winding through these woods forever. And even though it's a climbing trail, like, don't think it's some walk in the park. Um, it was smooth, but the grades were pretty steep in spots. But eventually, you pop out, and you're in this huge alpine meadow. Like all of a sudden, like it's not, it's not like the trees like gradually thin out. It's just boom. All of a sudden, you turn around and you can see all these snow-capped peaks, uh, you know, there's wildflowers. It's just really incredible. And then once you're up in the Alpine, you have probably another 45 minutes or so of climbing uh, before you truly top out. And so once you do top out, you get to the Lord of the Squirrels Trail, which just is the one everyone is talking about right now. And that's a hand-cut single-track descent. So it incorporates a lot of natural features, plenty of rock rolls, which is just kind of a way of life in Whistler. Um, and, and they built it as a blue trail, you know, which is, it's, that's what they wanted to build first. And I think it's because they really wanted to, to, you know, prove that this was a good investment that people were going to actually use this trail because there's Alpine riding in Whistler, but most of it is via helicopter. You know, there's not, not really that many opportunities for people to, you know, get to the Alpine under their own power. So, that was really cool. And the trail was just really, really fun. Um, you know, like I said, it was a blue trail and I rode it at the end of the week. So while I was a little worn out, my, my skills had definitely improved just cause riding there, riding in Whistler just makes you a better rider. So I, yeah, so I was able to ride it basically like full speed blind. Um, there's nothing really sketchy, nothing scary. Like you have good sight lines. It's just, you know, pure, pure single track joy on the way down. Um, the, so the Lord of the Squirrels Trail itself, you drop about 
3,000 feet in five miles, and that takes you back down to the flank trail, and that kind of runs along the flank of uh, Mount Sprout. And, uh, and then from there you have a ton of options uh, as far as descending the last little bit into town. So that was a really, really cool ride. I'm glad I did it. Like I said, I saved it for the last day just because it yeah, ended up being really busy. But it was about about a four-hour loop or so and around 25-ish miles and probably you know grand total of a 4,500 or 5,000 feet of climbing. So pretty pretty stout loop, but just absolutely incredible. I'd highly suggest you know if you only do one ride outside the bike park when you're there, do, do Lord of the Squirrels. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like you had a great trip. Before we move on, I know that one part of Crankworks is uh, sort of an expo that's set up for the event. Um, and you were able to visit with a number of brands while you were there. What was one product, say, that stood out to you as being interesting or new or exciting? Uh, yeah, we're starting to see more and more brands use Crankworks basically as a as a trade show, you know, so you know, obviously a smaller scale to Eurobike or Interbike, but you know, people are debuting new products there. Probably the most interesting single product I saw was specialized new Woo dropper post. That's W U. And the interesting thing about it is as the saddle drops, the angle of the saddle itself also changes. So, you know, if you think about when you you think about like a downhill bike and, you know, downhill bikes have straight posts, obviously, but their seats are usually angled. So the nose is pointing up, right? So that's what this post does. Like as you, as it goes through its travel, it gets, the nose tilts more and more upward. So really, I mean, in very unique product, I don't, I don't know that I quite understand the reasoning behind it, honestly, because you know, okay, yeah. So the saddle is now in a more comfortable position for seating for sitting, but you know, the whole point of a dropper is to get the saddle out of the way because you're not sitting on it because you're descending. So, yeah. So I don't really know. I don't. Is it a is it a solution looking for a problem? Maybe. I think uh, you know it, it doesn't have as much drop as other posts just because of the mechanism that they needed to create to get the angle to change. So I think the drop's only like 117 millimeters or something like that, but effectively the back of the saddle is lower, so it could be up to 150 millimeters. So like I said, uh, really unique uh, product, but um, a, a little bit just why as well. <laughs> right on. So Greg, while Aaron was at Crankworks, you were at Outer Bike in Crested Butte. Tell us a little bit about some of the bikes you rode and what the riding was like in Crested Butte. So this was the first installment of Outer Bike in Crested Butte. But I've been going to Outer Bike in Moab for years now, both in the fall and in the spring. And CB was a lot different than Moab, but um, probably for the better. You know, the, they unfortunately weren't running shuttles out to any of the marquee rides like they do in Moab, which was a bit of a bummer, but... You could ride the test bikes anywhere you could pedal from the ski resort, essentially. And it turns out you can access a heck of a lot of trails from the resort, especially if you have the legs to do it. 
And so, you know, I've personally spent a lot of time riding in CB since it's just over the hill for me. But after chatting with so many people who traveled from all over the nation for the event, I looked at the network there with fresh eyes. And what I saw is that this is really an ideal place to test bikes. It might not be a Whistler. Um, well, it's definitely not a Whistler. It's just, but it's got its own thing going. So it's got gnarly downhill tracks at the resort. Uh, but if you want to pedal, there's a wide range of two-way trails on the mountain in the resort that you can enjoy. You could also take the lift up and take a non-downhill trail down, which is uh, what I spent about a whole day doing with my wife, which was a different vibe, but it was pretty rad. It was like lift serve XC riding. So it's pretty interesting. But then outside of the resort, there are all kinds of trails that you can easily get to from the mountain. Uh, one popular one was the new West Side Trails, which are about a couple years old, but that drops from the top of the chairlift all the way down into the town of Crested Butte. And that proved to be a popular ride with a lot of people. But then you can access a bunch of other networks like the Upper Loops, the Lower Loops, the Lupine Trails, uh, Deer Creek, Green Lake. And if you have the legs for it, you could get up to 401 or 403 all accessible from the mountain. So even though they weren't running shuttles, there's still a lot of riding to be done, which is pretty cool. The other thing that played into the venue being so neat was that the most affordable hotel in town, which isn't cheap by any means, but uh, is right on the mountain. And the expo center was literally about 30 feet out the back door of the hotel. So you could, if you snagged a room on the mountain, you could roll up there, park your car and ride bikes drink beer and eat food all weekend and never have to start your car again, which is pretty cool, which you can't do in, in Moab. You're commuting from town every day. So I thought the whole setup proved to be really good. So pretty stoked on that, that change. Although they were in Whistler before this, so I'm not quite sure why they changed from Whistler to Crested Butte. So yeah, which bikes did you get to test while you were there? So I got on three uh, bikes uh, one was a Proudfoot Primed uh, full suspension steel 29er, and which was pretty surprising. I mean, it was very light and spry for being a steel full suspension bike and the first uh, steel FS bike I've ever ridden. It weighed in at about 27 pounds with the steel tubing, which is pretty dang respectable. It was uh, more on the XC end of the spectrum, but it was still a heck of a lot of fun to ride. Then I got on Spot's new Mayhem, which has... 130 mils of travel and it has the new like living link uh, leaf spring in it and people are asking me if it's a revolution or it just rides like a really good bike you know <laughs> I'm not sure I would need a lot more time on it to try to discern exactly what the living link is doing and how it's performing or if it's really any different from anything else but it was a solid rig. But then finally, I rode the new 2018 Scott Genius, and I got to spend almost a full day on this bike. I took it out of the venue for a long 20-mile ride and then rode it at the resort as well for a little bit, and man, this bike was sick. Test ride review of that just went up on the website uh, the day we were recording this podcast, so it's already out there. Be sure to check it out, but man, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed with this new trail bike. So it's a 150-mil trail bike. You can run either... 29er tires from 2.4 to 2.6 inches or 27.5 tires from 2.5 to 2.8 inches. Uh, and I tested the 2.8 plus size, which isn't my favorite tire combination, but the bike itself was incredible. So can't say enough good things about it. Uh, the weights for that actually just were released today. And since I didn't have a scale there to 
measure. I just found out today that the bike I rode was uh, 26.6 pounds without pedals, which is um, pretty impressive for a 150 mil bike. So had a great time on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, like Greg said, there, his review of the Scott Genius uh, is on the website and there's reviews uh, of those other bikes as well, the Proudfoot and the Spot Mayhem. So definitely check those out if you want more information about those. Aaron, a couple of weeks ago, we got to read about your bikepacking trip between Fort Collins and Steamboat Springs in Colorado. I have to say the photos looked really amazing and it sounded like a fun trip. So tell us a little bit about the experience. Yeah, that uh, that just, it was a last minute trip um, and it just ended up being so much fun. Just a really good time. I had no idea what to expect. So first of all, it's called the, the Steamboat Ramble. And it's a three-day semi-supported bikepacking trip from Fort Collins, Colorado to Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So we covered about 20 miles and 20,000 feet of climbing over the route. And 200 miles, not 20 miles. 200 miles. Sorry, did I just say 20? It's 200 miles. Trust me, I was there for all of them. <laughs> and the uh, the semi-supported thing is kind of an interesting take on on bikepacking. Like as I mentioned in in my write-up, I'm sure there's some. Some purists out there that'll be like, "That's not real bike packing," but you know what? Shut up. Um, <laughs> but basically, you you have to carry your tent and your spares and your you know your sleeping stuff and basically everything but food and water. So that's all taken care of for you. Now, obviously, you still have to like fill up your bladder and carry that on your bike with you. But there's uh, there's water stops along the way. There's a lunch stop, and then once you get to camp, they cook you a hot dinner and a hot breakfast in the morning. And New Belgium's the title sponsor, so there's plenty of beer at all those stops as well. So you know, if you want to have a, a beer mid ride, do it. Yeah. So it's just 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 an incredible ride. They, there's three events currently. They had one in Oregon earlier this summer, and then there's one scheduled for North Carolina in the Asheville, Brevard, Pisgah kind of area for October, and they're looking at adding uh, at least one more stop for next year, so be on the lookout for those. The The Asheville one's already sold out, so sorry. But uh, yeah, so yeah, like I said, New Belgium's the title sponsor. Uh, we had the orientation at their brewery, which is just incredible. Their brewery in Fort Collins is legit i mean they've got it's just like state-of-the-art and just really cool looking um they've got you know obviously a a huge tasting room but they've got this outdoor area that's just like gorgeous with picnic tables and they have food trucks there and um so yeah really really recommend those guys and just getting to meet some of the employees at orientation and it turns out a bunch of them were on the ride as well there's just some really cool people working at new belgium and they they support a lot of cool events. So if you like beer and you like cool events, you should drink more New Belgium. So that's my <laughs> plug for them because they're, they're good guys. They really are. And gals. So the route itself is just incredible. You know, it started with about 30 miles of pavement getting out of Fort Collins. But after that, pretty much the entire thing was on gravel. Uh, and we're in the middle of nowhere, like super north Colorado. Uh, I think at the closest point, we we're only like 15 miles away from the border with Wyoming. So you'll, you're just in the middle of nowhere and, and it's just, just gorgeous. Like you feel you're around like a hundred other people because that's how many people are on the ride, but it's also just kind of this weird, you feel like some nomadic tribe or something, you know, cause there's not really much else out there besides 
cows. A lot of climbing, obviously, a whole lot of climbing, but they were really chill. So that was kind of that was kind of nice because coming from from Georgia, our our climbing tends to just kick you right in the gut. You know, be really steep. Obviously, not as long, but the the grades here were really really relaxed. But you know, you'd climb for ten, twenty, thirty, or more miles at a time, which is definitely something we don't get here at home. And you know, doing it on a uh, a loaded bike at elevation added to the challenge. But I just you know tried to keep my my heart rate in check. And the the bike I was borrowing, I was borrowing a new Niner Sur Nine hardtail, and uh, they had spec'd it with uh, a SRAM XO One Eagle twelve speed group. So it's got that huge fifty tooth cog on the cassette, and I was just able to spin my legs merrily up the mountain. So. That was that was really nice. So you, you haven't done a lot of bikepacking trips in the last few years. A lot of your trips are more where you know you show up and ride, and then you know sleep in a bed at night, and then ride some more the next day. What, what did you think about this trip? In that it was you know back to back days of just riding your bike. It really just further cemented the fact that I enjoy bikepacking a lot. Uh, it's it's a really different mindset from trail riding. You just kind of take things as they come. You have to be flexible if you know on a, on a trip like this. Uh, you know, you, just, you stop when you need to, you eat when you need to, you drink when you need to. Uh, like I said, if you want to have a beer and lay in the grass for an hour, <laughs> you can do that. Some people did, but you also with this, you know, since they had designated campsites for us, that was all arranged ahead of time. You, you do have to strike a balance because you got to keep a decent pace to make it to camp by dark. I mean, I suppose you could always, you've got your camping stuff with you. So for some reason you didn't make it to the designated camp, you just stop wherever. But, you know, just to give you an idea, the moving time on days one and two were around seven hours each day and then about nine hours a lap. So I had about a good hour and a half to two hours of, of breaks in there. And then the last day was shorter. It's about 50 miles and uh, had about five hours of ride time on that day. The The last day was was awesome like we had you know more gravel obviously but um i opted to take a trail called flash of gold from the top of buffalo pass down into steamboat uh which just ended up being the perfect way to end the ride it's it's a new trail i think it just opened this year but it's just super fast flowy berms like every corner is bermed uh there are plenty of people riding it with with uh, cross bikes, you know, fully loaded cross bikes, and they were all having a blast getting down. So, you know, and you're just weaving through these aspen trees. So it, it just really capped off the whole ride. And then that night, Saturday night, we had a big party at the Moots headquarters in Steamboat Springs. And then Sunday morning, there was a shuttle arranged for us to, uh, to head back to Fort Collins. So it's just a really cool trip. I can't recommend it enough, honestly. You know, they're they're capping all the events at a certain number of riders just to keep it manageable and keep it fun for everyone. So this isn't going to turn into some 5,000-person Grand Fondo <laughs> or anything. And honestly, like, just in terms of value, it's it's a really good value. So I think... I think it's 300 bucks for the trip, but that includes, you know, that includes the route, that includes all the support, and they had motorcycles out on course as well. And the route is marked, um, but they also give you the GPX files ahead of time, so you can put them on your, on your GPS unit. Yeah, so it covers your water, that covers your snacks, that covers those meals. 
all the beer, basically all the beer you can drink. I don't know. It was like this never ending magical cooler of New Belgium that was just somehow always ice cold, which was amazing. And then it covers the shuttle back, back to the start. And that's, I mean, that's no small thing right there. You know, we basically more or less like retraced our route back from Steamboat Springs to Fort Collins. And it was like a four hour drive. So, yeah. So I think if you're, if you're interested in bikepacking, but like maybe not ready to go like whole hog, it could be a really awesome intro. I mean, obviously you need to have, you need to have pretty good fitness because these are big days, but yeah, it could be really good for someone, someone that's a strong rider, but wants to do some bikepacking or, you know, or if you just want to do some bikepacking light, if you do a ton of bikepacking and you're like, you know what, I just want to take it a little bit easier. I want to travel like ultralight and just have fun, meet a bunch of cool new people and drink beer in the woods. So jealous. That sounds like an awesome, awesome trip. Greg, you and your wife, Summer, traveled to Fernie in British Columbia as part of a unique trip being offered by Sacred Rides. Tell us how that went. And in short, that trip was superb. It was it was so good. But to give you a sort of a brief rundown of it, the type of trip we did is called a bring your partner trip. And the unique concept is it's a guided trip for both um, mountain bikers, like avid mountain bikers, and their non-riding spouses. And the guides uh, with Sacred Rides have created a unique itinerary for each of you. So the rider has riding literally every day for seven days straight. And the partner has their own activities as well, including things like hiking, yoga, almost every day, um, spa activities. And you also do activities together too. So we did a canoe trip together, like a half day canoe trip. There's hikes together. Uh, and the non-riding partner does do some biking as well. So they did two days of biking. I think they're supposed to do three, but not everybody was thrilled on the biking. So <laughs> it, I would say it's best if your your spouse, your non-riding partner, at at least likes the idea of riding a bicycle in the woods. Um, that would help. But the riding for the partner was pretty skills oriented and designed to help them like become a better rider and break down some of those fear barriers that might be in place. So what I thought was so neat about it was that they spent as much time, much effort making the non-riding portion of the trip just as good as the riding portion. So it was a very unique blend of things, which uh, we both enjoyed. It was perfect for us. So had a blast doing that. Cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the trails that you rode? Yeah. So we rode in like four or five different locations. So I'll keep try to keep brief, but Fernie was our probably the main destination because we spent over three days riding there. And we rode a lot of the easier trails in Fernie, but still like the intermediate-ish trails in Fernie are substantial, like substantial climbing, uh, long ripping descents. You know, you're just not going to have anything that's going to um, jump out and kill you with like a 10 foot drop, which some of the advanced black diamond trails do have. So um, for a lot of people, I think it was much appreciated. I loved Fernie because, you know, I love Colorado and we do have some deep, dark little pockets, but most of our trails here are rocky and they get pretty dry and some of them have decomposed granite and there's a lot of sand, but Fernie, man, it was, it was dry, but the dirt was just all just deep black dirt, which is totally foreign or very, very different from what I get to ride most days. So I just love the, the variety there. So, um, we rode 
out of the town of Fernie, we rode at the Alpine Resort, which was the most technical riding of the trip. And we rode near this lodge called Island Lake Lodge, which is way the heck up in the mountains from town. And we rode to and from there from town. It was uh, just pretty, pretty sick. And then we hit a place called Invermere on the way um, to another main destination, which was Nipica Mountain Resort. Now, Nipica is is rad because like they're like, oh, we're going to Nipica. And I was like, I've not heard of this place at all, you know. And Nipica, it turns out, is just an off-the-grid mountain resort really is the best term for it. It's basically a bunch of cabins in the middle of Kootenay National Park in the middle of nowhere. And all the power is supplied by a solar array. There's no cell service. You know, heat is either wood or propane in the winter. And there's a Wi-Fi network and you can connect to it if you're standing like in the driveway, like outside of the office, but you are out there. But it's still um, pretty posh and comfortable because you have these great cabins. There's great beds in them. They have their own catering service out there. So the highlight, of course, was the riding, which is all accessible on the property there. A few of the trails go off Nipka property into the national park, um, but it's also like one big network accessible right from that location. So that was just a super special location um, in my mind. Just really unique in the combination of just the beauty that you're in the middle of, comfort, the trails, all of it together. So I think I said in my article that it's about as close to like camping or like sleeping and riding and being in the middle of nowhere that you can get aside from like going bikepacking. So super enjoyed that. And then we kept off with a couple days of riding in Canmore. And I had ridden our final trail before actually with, well, I guess not with Jeff because Jeff had already left by that point, but uh, on a trip to Alberta back in 2013. But that trail that we rode again, Prairie View Jewel Pass proved to be, again, one of the best trails of the trip, just super rad. But then surprisingly, one of the trails we rode in Canmore um, we rode right from the town of Canmore from our lodging and it was sort of, it was like an evening ride. We smashed it in between driving to Canmore and then going to dinner and they were sort of going to just throw it out, but we went and rode this trail and for being like a, a ride that they might have chosen to skip, I loved it. It was just great. I mean, there was nothing like incredible. I don't know. I just had a great time. It was just really good deep woods, single track, some beautiful views and uh, just a blast. So yeah, all things considered, epic trip. I could probably talk for a very long time about it, but I've got articles on the website if you want more information. Cool. So with all that travel, did either of you guys get an opportunity to ride locally this summer? Yeah, man, I've been getting after it locally. I've lost count of the number of rides I've done on the Monarch Crest this year. One interesting thing I've done more of this year, in addition to just doing shells, is doing loops with um, the crest and the various descents. So I I don't know if I've ever done that before, but I've been doing a lot of it this summer, which uh, helps with (laughs) building the fitness a little bit if you've got to climb like 10 or 15 miles to get up there. So it's always the most entertaining deal, but there's only one way to get fitter. So you got to pedal that bicycle. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, but one loop that I did that really stands out was again, connecting to the Monarch crest, but it started with 10 miles of pedaling up uh, Marshall pass road. And then I rode past the silver Creek turnoff for the first time ever after living here for four years, which is kind of amazing. But one of the reasons I've been scared off of this section of trail 
is because people call it the worst section of the Colorado Trail, period. And while I couldn't think of a worse section, it was still a heck of a lot of fun to ride. Like, I still had a great time. The badness, I guess, of it, <laughs> that's not a great word. Um, the, the thing that people don't like is that's pretty motoed out. And I got passed by a group of 13 motorcycles going like 50 miles an hour through the woods. It's kind of crazy. But, uh, and so they definitely did a number on the trail. But with a six inch travel enduro bike and a day pack, like, it was highly technical riding, but it was very doable for the most part. But I could imagine, uh, being on a fully loaded bikepacking bike, like most of the Colorado trail racers, you know, you would have some downhill hiking, which is never fun. So, uh, and then I ended my 25 mile route with the tank seven descent, which I'd done before. And I think that might actually be one of the most technical descents in, in the region. It's, it's no joke. It's got some very, very big rock gardens and features in it. Um, but is a heck of a good time. So yeah, lots of local riding. Sweet. So many trails, so little time. So what about you, Aaron? Do you get after any new local trails here in Georgia this summer? I did. Uh, I've been, I've been riding locally a ton like Greg. Um, you know, we had a really busy spring travel season, so I actually wanted to stay close to home for most of the summer. Um, uh, you know, the Colorado and Whistler trips were ended up being pretty late in the summer. Um, so those kind of just happened recently, but yeah, for the, for the meat of the summer, I've, I've mostly been around home. And my big thing again has been like Greg has been exploring areas that I ride all the time. You know, I go up to North Georgia just about every weekend, but you know, ride the same trails, which they're fun trails, but they're just one tiny part of this huge forest in North Georgia. So it's just seemed like a lot of untapped potential up there. And one of the things, honestly, that got me motivated to do this was uh, riding with my buddy Chris. Uh, he broke his shoulder earlier this year, uh, so he was off the bike for months. And when he was first getting back on, he could ride his cross bike, but he wasn't cleared to ride any single track yet. So we rode around town a lot, but like that gets boring after a while. So still wanted to get up into the mountains. So we started putting together these long gravel loops up there. And then we'd be out riding these gravel loops and I'd see these little trails all over the place. And after the rides, I'd go back, I'd look on Strava, check other mapping programs and just to see if they would lead anywhere. And it looked like some of them did. So, you know, once Chris was cleared to ride trails, we started checking some of them out and, uh, holy shit. Let me tell you, some of the stuff is, well, it'll blow your mind. I mean, it's, it's different from a lot of the other stuff in Georgia. And in a lot of ways, it's probably more similar to Pisgah. But just phenomenal trails and, you know, not many other people are out there on these things. It's really isolated. You got to work to get to it. So it's real backcountry riding and, you know, you definitely get rewarded for your efforts. You know, I'm not going to not going to spill any beans here, but uh, just to give you guys an idea of what I'm talking about. One of the loops I put together, it's 30 miles long and there's 7,100 feet of climbing which also means 7,100 feet of descending. So that's pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a stout day on the bike for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. All right. So finally, any more trips on the horizon for this summer? I know we're all in a couple of weeks heading to Interbike in Las Vegas, but uh, what else you guys have on tap for this fall? So coming up this Labor Day weekend, I'm hoping to uh, knock off a chunk of the Colorado trail, not the whole thing, just part of it. I'm planning to do probably about 80 miles from the Mount Massive Wilderness to Kenosha Pass, but we're not going to be doing a super fast pace. We're going to split it up into three days and two nights of riding. So main goal is going to be to 
camp in the wilderness, enjoy pedaling our bikes, and just hanging out in the mountains for three days. But uh, that section of trail, I've ridden bits of it and not all of it, and it looks like it's going to be sick. So I've been trying to make that happen for a long time. So I'm glad it's finally coming together, not without its difficulties. Um, the bike I was planning to ride, I was kidding it out and found a crack in the frame, which is not awesome. So changing plans, but we're going to still get after it. And then the week after that, I have one of our contributors, Scott Cotter, who does the Trail TV series. He's going to be meeting up with me here in the Salida area. And we're going to, again, ride some trails that are local and I've ridden a lot, but try to get some good footage and do some filming on them. So we'll be doing the Canyon Creek Trail and the Monarch Crest to Greens Creek route. And then there will be a couple surprises in there, too. And we'll try to explore at least one or two new trails because that's what it's all about. And then looking further out in the fall, I'm going to try to hit Crested Butte for peak color season uh, in late September. And I've got several invites to go to Moab with various people in October. So I'm sure I'll get there at some point. So should be a good rest of the season. Nice. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, apart from Interbike, no big trips planned for the end of summer, I guess, with uh, Labor Day right here. We're basically at the end of summer, right? So probably just some more local riding. I might do a race or two. There's a couple fun races here in the late summer, early fall that I that I have missed or um, haven't done yet. So a couple of those possibly. But yeah, then in the fall, I've got some fun stuff coming up in October. I'm heading back out to British Columbia, going to Vancouver and uh, probably Whistler for a day or two uh, to celebrate a buddy's 50th birthday. So happy early birthday, Mark. Way early. And then in November, uh, early November, I'm doing another big bikepacking trip called the Kohutta Cat. And this is in North Georgia. It's around a 300-mile route. Starts in Ellijay, um, goes north, goes up into Tennessee for a second, and then heads back south, comes through Blue Ridge, Georgia, then over to Dahlonega. So basically it hits all the prime backcountry single track riding in North Georgia, but you do it all in one trip. So I'm um, doing that with a couple buddies, hoping they want to take a relaxed pace. You know, I I don't think I want to race this. Um, it's definitely going to be a, a hard trip. It's probably going to be, honestly, maybe four, possibly even five days to get it done. And that's still going to be going, you know, 70 plus miles a day. So um, over some pretty rugged terrain. Mostly it's because, I, you know, I raced the Hurricane 300 earlier this year down in Florida, which was a blast, but that was 345 miles, did it in 60 hours total elapsed time, um, about 30-ish hours of ride time, and uh, my hands are just now back to normal from that. So my I had two fingers on each hand that were numb for months and months. So not really looking forward to doing that to my hands again, so I think I'm just going to you know, I'm going to try to ride it like the ramble ride, just take my time, enjoy it and, uh, make it as far as you make it each day. Whew. That's a lot. That's a lot that's been done this summer. And then it sounds like you guys have a lot more in store for us this fall as well. So remember you can keep up with more photos and coverage from these trips and our upcoming trips, um, including Interbike. There's going to be a lot of news from that as well on singletracks.com. So be sure to follow us on Facebook or check the website every single day to make sure you don't miss anything. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.